0: Folks, you have once again wandered into Full Contact Cannabis, uh, which is a podcast by cannabis professionals for cannabis professionals. We are sponsored by The Old Hemp Farmer's Wife and Tennessee Homegrown. My partner is Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media in LA and other places. And we are talking to Morris Beagle, who is a genuine cannabis OG. How are you doing, Morris? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Everybody in our industry, whether it's high THC or high CBD, should know about you or does know about you. But could you just give a
1: a little bit,
0: let them know who and what you are?
1: Sure. So I uh, actually entered into the industry officially back in 2012 when Colorado passed Amendment 64. We became the first adult use state to legislation. It also opened up the opportunity for folks to start growing industrial hemp before the 2014 Farm Bill here in Colorado. A friend of mine, Ryan Laughlin, planted the next year and grew in 2013 before it was federally legal. Um, I started Colorado Hemp Company at that time. I had come out of the music industry, which I'd been in for 25 years. And during that time, I'd also experimented on the industrial hemp side, making t-shirts and hats out of hemp based uh, apparel and textiles i've been familiar with industrial hemp for quite a while since really kind of the mid-90s i read jack harris book there was a hemp store in fort collins colorado that i befriended the owner and kind of got my schooling back then but didn't really enter into the industry until like i said 2012 2013 i launched tree-free hemp paper and printing a hemp paper and printing company 2014, I launched NOCO Hemp Expo. 2015, I launched my Let's Talk Hemp media platform. And and I've got a whole bunch of entities. I do a bunch of events. Um, I speak at events. I promote the industry. I'm a big advocate. I'm a big believer in all the different lanes of the plant, whether that's the medical or recreational or industrial or the nutritional side. And and here we are in 2024, and it's been a wild ride the last <laughs> five or six years, to say the least.
0: Your claim to fame, though, I think most people know you through NOCO. Well, for one thing, a boatload of people have been to your events, and and, and they always, you know, I mean, it is. It's the whole point. Uh, you did your first one,
1: what, in April of 2014? Correct. That was the first one. And and then I launched the sister show, which is where we probably met in Nashville for the Southern Hemp Expo. Yeah. So that was in Windsor in a bar. Correct.
0: <laughs> and I think uh, memory serves and correct tickets were like 15 bucks
1: or something. Something like that. 10 or 15 bucks.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, OK,
1: what was the impetus for you guys meeting and doing this Dancon thing? Day? Well, since the 2014 Farm Bill had passed, and there was, you know, cannabis was really starting to pick up steam because of the legalization in Colorado and in Washington. Obviously, there was medical states that were already around before that, including Colorado and California and and some others. But the events that were going on at that point in time, cannabis events, would have a little bit of hemp programming or some hemp vendors that might be selling like clothes and soaps and lotions and that sort of stuff that's been around for a while. But there wasn't a hemp event outside of the HIA, the Hemp Industries Association that would do an annual conference, but there was no expo. And it's like coming from the music industry and being an events guy, doing festivals and concerts and bar gigs and corporate parties as well as going to big conventions like the Consumer Electronics Show and the NAM Show and NARM and seeing the opportunity for this new industry. It's like we need to have a trade show or multiple trade shows and conferences to really start getting the industry together, shining a light on the different aspects of the industry, whether that's the fiber side, or the grain side for the food and the nutrition and protein powder and then all of a sudden here's cbd this non-intoxicating cannabinoid was like here's something new that wasn't really that anticipated from the industrial hemp folks and obviously we know that that expedited the growth of the industry and and made a lot uh, a lot more folks aware of what hemp was so it's like We need to start a hemp expo, and that's what we did. And it started small and it grew exponentially every year through 2019 until really the crash of the the CBD market and the beginning of the pandemic.
0: All right. At what point was that you really you were in, like I said, smaller venues. What year did you do your big? I, I think it was in Denver, wasn't it? That you had your like I don't want coming out party where just boatloads of people showed up. Was that around
1: 2016? No, it was that was actually 2019. But in 2018, we were once we did the show in Windsor at Ricky B's, the bar that a buddy of mine was booking bands in. That's how I got into the venue. It's like I needed a venue that had a stage and had a restaurant and had a bar and had some space where we could have exhibits. Then we moved to the ranch events complex in Loveland, which is an events complex owned by the county. We took over as much space as we could between 2015 and 2018, and we completely sold it out, had the cops come and the fire marshal in 2018. It's like no more people can enter this building. So there was no venue in Northern Colorado which is noco to be able to host this event, so we had to move it to Denver in twenty nineteen and we moved it to the Crown Plaza, and we sold that out too. We had like ten thousand plus people and cars parking on medians. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy show, and it's like the hemp industry is is a real deal thing, and it was it was happening even though there was the the fear in the marketplace of overgrowing the, the market and having this additional CBD biomass supply and stuff. But there was a lot of excitement and activity going that unfortunately came to a halt the next year, which we were moving venues in 2020 to a, a much larger space where we could accommodate 20,000 plus people and 500 exhibitors. And that show unfortunately did not take place.
0: It kind of blindsided us all. Going back to like the, the earlier years, I myself, you know, got into hemp out of doing, I was trying to do recreational. And then when I was trying to help this company up in Washington, I realized that it was hard with the tax laws and everything and all the compliancy, it was going to be really tough to make any money. And then in Tennessee, 2014, that's when they did their, what do you wanna call it, research hemp bill, which was, you know, came off of the 2014 farm bill, but it we languished. I mean, our company did not get any, it was hard to get shelf space. It was hard to get anybody to even pay attention to until 2018, and then it was like a f- switch flipped. Is that the pivotal point, do you think, with NOCO was like the 2018 farm bill?
1: I would say yes. Here in Colorado, we we had a step up or a leg up on a lot of other places around the country because, again, we had passed Amendment 64. We had already legalized industrial hemp before the the 2014 Farm Bill. When that happened, a lot of the big companies that That started to pioneer the industry were based in Colorado. We had the Stanley Brothers and Charlotte's Web. We had Bluebird Botanicals, CB Distillery. Uh, There was CBD companies and extraction companies popping up all over the place, and growers. And so, with the cannabis market already in place here in Colorado, it was an easy pivot for a lot of these guys to jump into the CBD market, which had far less. Regulation, like you mentioned before, you know, the medical and recreational side of cannabis is heavily regulated compared to the hemp side. And it's like all of a sudden people are moving out of warehouses and greenhouses and growing 50 or 100 or several hundred acres of high CBD cannabinoid hemp. It became a huge wild west. So things were taking off in Colorado. And then when the 2018 Farm Bill passed, uh, around the country, things started to really blow up, and you know people had dollar signs in their eyes and shiny objects in front of them, and everybody was gonna get rich and make fifty thousand dollars an acre and Well, we know how that turned out <laughs> all right because uh, there's a couple things here and and I know we, we you you're real
0: busy and have so much fun, but there are a bunch of things to explore. I'm trying to think about the first one was since you got like i i I met Ryan a few times and conversed with him through the internet a few times, but he was a real hemp guy. The first people who did this, because even with us, even though we were getting into CBD, we were gonna try to dual purpose. The first year we were gonna try to do seed oil and then take the bracts and process that. But we found in Tennessee, none of the Canadian seed varieties would work there. Next year we went to fiber, and realized fiber worked real well in Tennessee, but nobody wanted to come in and do the decortification or any of the other infrastructure. So we ended up, you know, 50 acres of stuff getting basically bush hogged. And then we just said, screw it, we're going to go CBD. Uh, But it was kind of almost out of survival. When did you see that industrial hemp was basically being hijacked by... Medical hemp
1: it was pretty early on you know I got into this because of industrial hemp i'm a I'm an industrial hemp guy you know, I didn't get into it because of cannabinoids uh, I am a recreational cannabis user. I was a medical cannabis user as well, and I certainly have no issues with that. It shouldn't be illegal. it never should have been illegal or prohibited, but I got into this to to try to do the environmental and health and nutrition side of things with the grain side and the fiber side and the construction materials and bioplastics and textiles and the food side of things. And, and there was some emphasis on that initially here in Colorado. There was some growers that were growing several hundred acres or even a thousand acres. There was, oh, I can't remember the name of the company, but it was up north and they grew like a thousand acres of fiber and grain. And there was a company called Colorado Hemp Works that popped up that was uh, food processor, dehauling, oil pressing, and I believe they're still around, Matt yeah, Buckles. They still sell protein powder. Okay, and, and so pro- I haven't heard from Matt in a couple years. He spoke at NOCO in 2021, and or maybe it was 2022. Uh, maybe it was 2022, but I haven't heard from him in over a year, and so I've sent him a couple messages, but all that to say, you know, Ryan was growing some fiber and grain. Ryan's also pivoted and started growing CBD as well. The fiber thing never took off or in Colorado, and it's starting to a little bit. We finally got a processor a decortication company, Global Fiber Processing, that's up and running now. Um, there were some folks also doing another group in the San Luis Valley, I think it was SLV hemp processing or something that was doing the grain thing and had a oil press and the de machine. That just got overshadowed big time by the, the cannabinoids and CBD. And then all of a sudden here's CBG, all the supplements and people making money and the extraction, big extraction companies coming on board. We had Ecogen out here and Mile High Labs and Obviously, in the South, you had Bluen, who was a partner of ours before they blew up and, Self, and self-immolated. Yep. And then Jen Canna out of Kentucky. Um, and you obviously had Sunstrand in Kentucky that was really trying to do the fiber thing. They were the kind of the only real yeah. fiber processing company that unfortunately overcommitted in various areas and couldn't make certain things happen. And they had to shut their doors and you know, it, it's been a tough go of that side of the business up until now where there's finally, at this time, a little bit of light starting to happen on the the fiber side of things and somewhat on the grain side of things. We've got animal feed that's making some strides and the FDA just approved, uh, I guess, animal feed for egg-laying hens. Um, that's brand new information. I don't know if Hemp feed coalitions put that out yet, but again, I I think finally the there's going to be some emphasis on true industrial hemp, and we'll start to see a little bit of delineation between regulatory aspects with cannabinoids and grain and fiber and and that sort of thing. Hopefully, in this next farm bill, if it happens this year and doesn't get kicked till next
0: year. One of my things that I found kind of frustrating about the, and I'm talking about 2017 on, is when the people came in and the the money started coming in. And also you started having the people who were just flat out crooks. One of the things I have to admit is that I thought the earlier expos kind of like gave a, a platform to some of these people who were unscrupulous. And it was just like, uh, but then one of the things I found out when I started getting people wanting to hire me as a consultant is that it was a two-way road on this. People were looking to get rich without doing any homework and doing any due diligence. And then here are a group of people who are more than willing to take advantage of it. And at first, I was just like, ah. But once I started actually what consulting people, you would give them good information and they would just turn around and do what they wanted. And then I started thinking, but maybe the reason these, these unscrupulous players existed because there was just this whole group of people who just wanted to get rich quick.
1: Yeah, I can see that. And there certainly were, uh, and still are unscrupulous people that are out there in the space that are just looking to get money make money, and rip people off. And and I don't take offense to the fact that these folks would come to my expos or other expos, and that's where business is being done. That's where people are finding processors, finding customers, finding consultants, finding legal help, uh, going to the conferences and getting educated on the various aspects of the industry. And These folks hang out in places where people do business, whether that's in the hemp industry or the cannabis industry or the natural products industry or whatever industry it might be, oil and gas. There's unscrupulous people across the board. And in a new industry, it's ripe for being able to take advantage of folks. It's just kind of part of the whole growing pains and maturing of an industry to see all that happen. And people just have to hopefully be wise and be smart about their business and not fall into traps and try to do due diligence and homework on whoever they're going to decide to do business with. One
0: of the things i found infinitely interesting was, is that people who, I don't know, can't, you can't rip people off for an ex, expo, but use you, and I'm talking about unscrupulous people, who started doing these flim flam
1: expos?
0: How did you feel about when these this start this concert? You know, things started
1: happening. I certainly had issues with various organizers um, that would pop up and do expos because I, I'm a legitimate events guy. I've been in events my uh, most of my adult life. And I'm friends with lots of other organizers. I look to other expos to borrow ideas and try to do things better and provide a, a really good environment to do business. So I would look to MJ Biz. I would look to Expo West and Expo East in the natural product space. Um, the New Hope folks that put those events on that have been doing it for 30 or 40 years. And it's like they're total professionals. And I wanted to create an environment that's professional and then I see all these small little events popping up and it's it became troublesome and you know I would get thrown in the mix with some of those oh people doing expos and conferences they're just trying to take people's money and rip people off and you hear the chatter on social media and people just kind of stereotyping folks and generalizing. And I got thrown into that. And there's certainly a handful of haters out there that'll even still hate on me doing my expo and just don't like NOCO because it's been successful. And I try to do the right thing. I try to provide a platform for legitimate companies and entrepreneurs and folks to to participate in this industry and I'm going to continue to do that regardless of the bumps in the road um, which there are still and there will continue to be but people do business at trade shows they have for decades and this industry is no different there's going to be trade shows where things don't go well for and there's rip off people out there but there's legitimate trade shows and I believe that the shows that I put on are legitimate and they're going to continue to be legitimate and People just again have to do their due diligence. Is this a fly by night organization that's just trying to sell sponsorship and exhibitor space and tickets to get into the event and then they're down in a year or two?
0: Would no, but you have a way to to basically come full circle because you kind of did you did start with with real hemp. I'm wondering with a lot of the people that are doing the high THC and the high C B D if maybe that
1: those expos has time has come and gone to some degree, I would say, but I think that the adult use shows like MJ biz or cannabis business times, I think is the, the group that does a show in Vegas as well. I mean, there's some good shows out there. And then ICBC international cannabis business conference, uh, Alex Rogers, he's done a whole bunch of shows. He's got the biggest show in Europe. Um, he's a legitimate guy. He's a Jack Hare disciple and he's a friend of mine and we're looking to collaborate on things. And there's legitimate folks out there in that space that I think will continue to be in that space. There's a lot of room for regulatory information that's going to continue to evolve and business to be done with various vendors and wholesalers and distribution networks and supply chain stuff. So, I mean, that stuff's going to continue on. Now, in the hemp space where we've got CBD and cannabinoids and now the intoxicating hemp derivative side of things, still all one plant. It's still here's a, a new category that's popped up. And there's a lot of, again, people taking advantage of that situation. But I think that there's a lot of legitimate folks that are out there. And um, as of now, that stuff is arguably legal. Uh, I think. <laughs> You've seen Bob Hoban put his columns out there. You've seen Rod Kite put his stuff out there and and others who are making really valid arguments towards that side. And I think this is a great opportunity for hemp that's federally legal that it can serve a broad range of customers and consumers that don't have access to adult-use cannabis in various markets like Tennessee and Kentucky and... Well- and so there's there's an argument to be made that this is paving the way for the normalization of cannabis,
0: but also this also has fueled this feud between high THC and high CBD hemp-derived cannabinoids, and like and that's the thing that gets me is in Tennessee, although we're hemp-derived and all that, basically. Up until now, and they're trying to change, people were bringing in weed from other states and calling it uh, THCA flower, which is the irony is that there's a whole THCA flower industry that's basically
1: built on black market marijuana. (laughs) The THCA thing is, I think that that needs to be in its own bucket compared to hemp derived delta nine gummies and drinks and and some of those products where it's cpg stuff but the the, the thca we'll see how all that pans out i'm well
0: they're getting ready to make it thca flower
1: illegal here in tennessee
0: unless there's a reprieve from the governor or hail mary or something july 1st uh, thca flower is going to go away in tennessee it's
1: july 1st
0: yeah The thing though, the reason I'm kind of bringing this up is that in 2018, I think is when the first uh, Southern Hemp Expo was in Tennant, Nashville. Yep. I don't know about you, but I was blown away. I was expecting a few hundred people to show up at the most. And I remember the first day, which was supposed to be just strictly B2B. I was, me and LT were driving up and there's these lines and we, I, and we had no idea why there was lines. It was like a, fire, you know, somebody pull a fire alarm or something, whatever. And it just, it was a huge amount of people. And the reason I mention this is, is that what surprised us is that it was not people in the industry. It was interest from just people. And that's what kind of fueled it. and. I noticed then like with the last Southern Hemp Expo the interest by the general population had waned. It was just like okay, now that we can get access to all this stuff because let's face it last the last Southern Hemp Expo you could go into most of the smoke shops around there and buy 22% THCA flower.
1: Correct. And, and yeah, that's been a the a challenging part for my event side of things with Southern Hemp Expo and NOCO. Coming out of the pandemic, we really shifted to make it more of a B2B event rather than the hybrid B2B and B2C. Um, Basically, first off, because of the social distancing and the health and all the crap that we had to go through um, to make sure everybody's safe. You know, we're opening it back up to to have more of a B2B slash B2C feel, but it doesn't have the same buzz that it did when it, it's not new anymore. It's like, all right, been there, done that. Um, So how do we get the industry kind of excited again with innovation and new products? And I think some other events, the Alt Products Expo that was the... CBD USA Expo or USA CBD Expo, which before that was a vape expo. And, you know, they've done a pretty good job of building that kind of smoke shop clientele where what's the latest and greatest new ingredient that's going to get you buzzed. And we've got the mushroom stuff coming on and different vape ingredients and stuff like that and I'm to me that's not what I'm in it for I'm in it for health and wellness and environmental aspects and trying to do right by the planet and by people and humanity and and that sort of thing but yeah the the general public interest has waned when it comes to coming to Expos like uh, like it was pre-pandemic, 2018 and 2019. I'm sure you were at the one in 2019 when we moved it to Franklin, because that show was crazy too.
0: I know, it it was, yeah. And just, yes, they, the whole, the first Southern Hip Expo, even though I'd been to a few other ones, was a, an experience in the fact that you, you felt almost like it was a special time and moment in space that this was never going to be this way again. And to be there and to observe it was really, really cool. I got to ask you, do you think the the cannabis, especially the hemp derived cannabinoid CBD market is still addicted to 2019?
1: Oh, potentially. Um, but I think that, the people that are going to do well in that space are beyond that are, and are looking to the future and how do we create compliant products that are safe for consumers and how do we build brands that can have longevity and create a marketplace that will expand and normalize cannabis consumption. I think a lot of the people are still probably stuck in that space, but I think that there's forward-thinking people in the industry that are in that lane that are doing cool things and they're again are looking towards the future and and are just smart business people.
0: The reason I say that there seems to be in the industry is that Tennessee homegrown did it just went crazy. And and it was really, really cool. And I do reminisce about it and you know you do fantasize about being able to do that again. But that's what I'm saying What when, when I said it was a special time and moment in that the fact that it's all of a sudden you had a huge amount of people almost, well, within a year or two, become aware of something and des- decide they wanted in on
1: it. And can that ever be recreated? We'll see. We're going to try to do our best at this next NOCO in bringing all facets of the industry together, because there's certainly a lot of division between the intoxicant side, um, the health and wellness side, the fiber side, and then the high THC cannabis side. We're we're inviting folks from all different lanes to participate in this year's event and to come together and have discussions and how do we coalesce around cannabis it's one plant people can argue as much as they want to that fiber and grain it's a separate thing and it's a you can it's certainly a separate category but when it's all said and done from a scientific standpoint it's all cannabis yeah maybe the fiber is going to be regulated this way grain is going to be regulated this way cbd and non-intoxicating cannabinoids are this way and then you've got the derivative side from hemp that's this way. And then you've got the marijuana side and the pharmaceutical side that are this way. We're all going to have to come together and and be in the same room or in the same area and have these discussions. And it's better if the industry figures this stuff out and we bicker and and just go back and forth between ourselves, rather than having a bunch of bureaucrats in federal and state legislatures that are making these decisions for us that don't understand what the hell's going on. I think that there is an opportunity for us to elevate and make this exciting again, where everybody can participate and every under, everybody understands their role in their lane. So that's my hope. Um, whether we succeed in that, we'll we'll have to find out. But all I know is we've got a cool little city in Estes Park where we can get all aspects of the hemp and cannabis industry up there and and have some great conversations and people that maybe don't like each other from LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, and they get to hang out and have a beer or smoke a joint or eat a gummy or have a hemp or cannabis beverage can just sit there and have conversation and talk face to face. And and maybe some of this hostility will go away.
0: Here we are at this this aspect and time do you really think that people will adopt hemp as readily as they did the
1: idea of hemp? I hope so, but I'm not sure on that. I I think it depends on some of the regulatory and federal support that that happens. I think that the USDA is supportive of hemp and Will there be some subsidy type opportunities that will give rise to the nutritional side and the supplement side and the fiber material side? And are people going to want to build hemp homes? Or when they decide to do a retrofit of their home, are they going to want to incorporate hemp insulation or hemp wood flooring? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to start drinking hemp milk if you're into non dairy? Are you going to start? incorporating hemp protein powder or are you going to start taking various cannabinoid supplements that are great health and wellness supplements as part of your regimen? I that's a good question. I I think that we're seeing more and more people utilize cannabis across the spectrum. So I think that the opportunity to grow the space and really all different categories is certainly there uh, for good business people and good brands and people with vision and people who are innovative?
0: My pet peeve is people who are activists and put up memes about hemp can save the world, but they do not go out of their way to buy hemp uh, clothing or hemp food. I get up every morning and I have a smoothie that has hemp protein in it. Right now, I got a pair of shoes on that are hemp. But I don't find really people who are saying, you know, let's save the planet really going out of the way to do the things that have to support that.
1: Well, I would agree with that. I also think that there's maybe a lack of access where it had these ingredients and products have not been adopted by major companies. It's not like Nestle is incorporating hemp as an ingredient into a, a bunch of their products or, you know, you've got your Dr. Bronner's out there and your Patagonia's but in the big scheme of things, those are small companies compared to Procter & Gamble and Nestle and these huge multinational $50 billion or $100 billion a year companies that own a shit ton of brands, you know? So once Levi starts putting hemp in all their jeans and Forever 21 starts incorporating hemp into the clothes that they're making... Uh, and replacing some of the synthetic fossil fuel fiber that they're using. Um, I think a lot more people will start wearing hemp clothes or using hemp products when these big brands start incorporating stuff that's going to green up their their business.
2: Yeah, it it's also becomes a marketing thing. The smaller companies just can't market enough to keep up with the larger corporations that aren't involved in it yet.
0: That also gives me a segue because basically, if big business doesn't embrace it, there's going to be headwinds, which I I, I really do embrace your whole B2B philosophy, because for one of the things I'm starting to think that maybe hemp activism, as
1: it's been done and being done now, time may be over. I would say so. I think it's time to step it up and be more professional and you know, we need the BMWs of the world and the Toyotas and companies that have expressed interest in decarbonizing. And I think that there's enough information out there now and examples that hemp is certainly one of the solutions. It's not the only solution, but it's certainly one of them. Regenerative agriculture is is picking up a bunch of steam and it's becoming pretty hip. Walmart's committing to it. Cargill's can committing to it, and you're seeing Nestle's committing to supporting regenerative agriculture, and hemp fits right in there as a great rotational crop. With that happening, there will be more acreage for hemp, there will be more materials available, um, and more companies will have access to a supply chain that's consistent. Uh, I know that there's a bunch of plastic companies out there that are looking to add alternatives into the petroleum mix that they want to get. a they, The writing's on the wall for petroleum. You know, how long that is, 10 years, is it 50 years, is it 100 years? But I think that companies know that we have to have alternative materials to do a lot of the same things that petroleum's been doing for us for the last 150 years. And hemp is certainly one of those up towards the top of the list. Um, so I do think that there's a, a great opportunity in the long term for hemp to get more and more market penetration.
0: Why do you think that mythos of of that, like I said, hemp is going to save the world? I, I get calls all the time for people who are who are from activists who want to come and they want to promote hemp but don't know anything about it. I literally... Less than 10 days ago, I had a person who wanted me to help them do a documentary and didn't, who thought that hemp was from like a male plant and then marijuana was like from a female plant. And it's just like, how do, how do these people get anywhere in any of these
1: organizations and don't know anything about cannabis? Well, people like slogans. That's why hemp will save the world. People like a slogan make America great again. You know, it's like people just latch to slogans and whether the slogan is true or not, I don't think hemp will save the world. Hemp can certainly help humanity stick around longer than, than it's looking like we may stick around um, if we incorporate it into all the different aspects that it can be incorporated in, as well as other plant and bio-based op- options bamboo and flax and canaf and, you know, there's utilizing different species of, of plants that are grown in different parts of the world and being able to incorporate that into materials that are going to be utilized there locally. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. So we're not shipping stuff all over the world and we're trying to, you know, minimize our environmental footprint people don't know people see stuff on social media everybody's got a short attention span it's the tiktok world that we live in it's you got 10 or 15 seconds at most to really capture somebody's attention why do you
0: think that the farmer has probably been one of the most
1: neglected part of this whole ass whole industry well i think farmers have had the short end of the stick for a long time because Big brands needing to get materials at the lowest possible price. You have companies like Walmart out there that are so hard on their vendors for price. And if it's a food product, that's why everything is subsidized. That's why corn and soy and wheat and all these big monocrops are subsidized because they have to sell it for so cheap. And so here's an opportunity of a new specialty crop that had an opportunity to make money but the the price fell out of the bottom quicker be than anybody would have hoped or thought and you know the farmer gets stuck holding the bucket and there's no money in it so I don't know it's just it's just I think the way our world is right now and and the way the system is set up and it's it needs to flip because without farmers We're not going to be able to eat.
0: Well, the reason I see that I see things like the hemp roundtable and these organizations, and you go through and you look at the people on their board, and there's no
1: farmers. That's been a common complaint with various organizations is the lack of farmers. You know, with the the hemp industries association, Mike Lewis has been in there. He's a farmer. And not like he's a big farmer, he's a family farmer, and he's he spoke out about the family farm side of things. But yeah, there has been a, a lack of farmer representation out there in the hemp space. And there was an, an association that was created, and I think it was the Hemp Farmers Association, and it didn't last very long. There was money thrown in by a handful of groups and, and this was, I think, going into 2019, and th- they were actually at NOCO in 2019, but then companies were getting into financial trouble, Gin Canna, for one, who had put money into this operation, yeah. and didn't, you know, didn't pay the dues. And then there's like, it's one of these things where a lot of people looking at trying to get product to market and, and the, the cheapest way to do that and being able to hit their margins, and that's squeezing the farmers.
0: Well, the reason I say that, there's a whole generation of family farms and stuff that got ripped off by people like Bluen, Jen Canna. I mean, the list is really, really long because I know because I would get these more tearful phone calls where people lost their farm. Yeah, it's and so that's what I'm saying is, how do you get a whole group of farmers that are like
1: rescue animals to come back into hemp? right that's a you got to have good legitimate companies that are providing farmers a contract to buy their crop or provide seed and where they're going to make as much money or more money than they are growing whatever staple crop they're growing corn or soy or wheat or alfalfa or hay you know our kids can you grow X amount in rotation for us. And whatever you grow, we're going to buy and you're not going to lose your money on it. Or the USDA is going to have to really step in and provide a subsidy program to get this crop up and going and build confidence with the farmer network across the country so they know that if they're going to grow it, it's not going to be like it was in 2018 and 2019, 2020, where people lost their farm. A lot of folks in the long term are gonna be farmers that are growing corn and wheat and soy and it's the the more traditional farmers and not the kind of cannabis weed bro folks that jumped into the marketplace and no, but
0: that's what I'm talking about. There are row croppers who got promised contracts like they do when they were doing wheat and corn and soybeans and invested in it with an you know infrastructure. I mean and then got left at the altar, right. and And that's what I'm saying is it'd be I you know, not that we can blame we people who got into because they wanted to grow weed, but this was the whole thing. All of a sudden, if you're making three seventy five for an acre and somebody tells you you can make ten to fifteen thousand dollars an acre and gives you seed and gives you a contract, it's pretty hard to say, well, no, right. and And that's what I think is kind of permeated through the business, I mean, there's still people pumping and dumping cannabis companies.
1: Yep. Yeah. You know? all, right,
0: all right. That's enough of me. Mark Do <laughs> you got any cool questions or observations?
2: Uh, well, you guys have covered it uh, pretty well. Um, uh, Morris, you did touch on uh, construction materials earlier and Probably two or three years before pandemic, I heard a lot about it and I haven't heard much since. I just wonder what your long-term thoughts are on the validity of hemp being used in construction.
1: Well, funny you say that because there's actually been a lot of movement on the construction side of things. Here in the U.S., certainly in Europe, also in Canada, there's been numerous hemp block companies that have popped up with the hemp blocks and and manufactured paneling and stuff out of hemp. Also, hemp insulation, uh, hemp texture. raised a bunch of money, opened up a plant in Idaho, and they're expanding. France, where a lot of this construction stuff really started, has been in developing newer technology, increasing their acreage. I would say that the the growth of the hemp construction industry has been probably a thousand percent plus the last few years here in the United States. There's a lot more hemp homes going up. Um, there's a lot more people that are incorporating the materials. The U.S. Hemp Building Association has done a good job in trying to push forward uh, inclusion into building codes and so forth, and there's still ways to go with that. The I. Truly think that there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to utilizing hemp as a building material. Finally, we've we've got a dozen processing yeah, wow. folks around the United States that are actively um, decorticating and producing materials for hempcrete and hemp insulation. And they're selling product and there are builders and contractors that are buying this. And it's becoming more commonplace. Um, and I see that that's only going to increase. Uh, the emphasis is there. The green building kind of folks are finally coming around and realizing, hey, this is actually a great material. Um, it performs well. It, it works in with the whole decarbonization Agenda that is being put out there for climate smart commodities and um, the whole climate carbon initiatives. So I'm optimistic and I don't think that this is just like a here, let's get rich on hemp building materials, because that's not going to happen either. It's like it, it, materials are another thing where it's all price sensitive. Can this industry scale to a degree where if I've got a choice between using rock wool or hemp what am what am I going to use if they're the same price and hemp performs better and it's a healthier alternative and I have a cleaner environment to breathe in my home or my apartment or whatever I want to choose the the hemp
2: yeah that's great to hear I mean I know when it first started it was it was a price problem because it was expensive as the technology developed but if it's getting competitive it's that's good
1: I think we've got a ways to go before it's really competitive. But I do know if you go to the U.S. Hemp Building Association website um, or you go, you Google International Hemp Building Association or Hemp Building Forum that was held in the Netherlands back in, I believe it was October, you know, there's a lot of companies that are jumping into the space and there's a lot of people that are wanting to move in that direction and and I think fi- this is where it becomes tr- traditional agriculture where it's like, all right, I'm going to grow fiber or I'm going to grow a dual crop for fiber and grain. And and I know that I'm going to be able to make my four or $500 an acre or whatever that looks like. And these materials are going to go do well for humanity and for the planet.
0: Morris, we're going to let you do what shameless self-promotion you want to do right now.
1: The thing that I will say is that the hemp industry is not dead. not everybody in the hemp industry is a crook. There's a lot of good folks here, a lot of hardworking passionate people that really care about doing good business. All of you that that kind of fit that profile, you're all invited to the tenth annual noco hemp expo. this is our tenth anniversary. It's been a long road. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. But it is happening April 11th through the 13th in Estes Park, Colorado. New venue. NOCO is moving back to northern Colorado. It's a great little town. Uh, You can go to NOCOhempExpo.com and find out information about exhibiting, sponsorship, or buying tickets. All that stuff is on sale right now. And you can reach out to info at NOCOhempExpo.com. For more information, uh, we've also got volunteer spots. And if you want to keep up on hemp news that's unbiased, that's not negative, you can go to letstalkhemp.com. Uh, we curate a lot of news from around the world. We put out original content as well. And again, we're here to, to be positive and try to build a successful industry. And we're not here to tear people down. We want to build people up and you know, have a positive society and a positive worldview rather than all the negative stuff that we hear out there on a daily basis.
0: Way cool. Folks, you've been listening to Full Contact Cannabis, which is sponsored by The Old Hemp Farmer's Wife and Tennessee Homegrown. And as always, keep one eye on the market and the other eye on the weather. Thanks. Full
2: Contact Cannabis is a Tennessee Homegrown and Uppercut Media production. You can find Tennessee Homegrown on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website, tnhomegrown.com, for more background and information covered in our podcast. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com.